cross oh. comes in. White with the header. Oh. And here comes Whitehead. It's gold for Great Britain. Hi everyone and welcome back to Track and Ball Podcast with myself, Richard Whitehead. And Ellen White. So on today's show, we have a double Olympic champion. Yes, a double Olympic champion. World, Commonwealth, European champion. This guy has conquered them all. He's a family man. He's a Yorkshire lad. But today, we really want to know about what his aspirations are for Tokyo and it also feels a little bit like a, a counselling session today. Ellen, mm. what does love mean to you? Now, that is a great question, Rich. So love for me is about family, companionship, I think loyalty. Now you, Rich, Mr. Sensitive, what does, <laughs> what, what does love mean to you? you? You know me, Mr. Sensitive. It's a deep <laughs> feeling of affection, commitment, but also growing together. So our guest today is Alistair Brownlee, and what does love mean to you? You know why we're asking this question, that Olympic podcast that you did with Johnny, it made us both laugh, and we wanted to start with that question. <laughs> what does love mean to you? Uh, I wondered where we were going with that, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> was, uh, out of the uh, probably hundreds, if not thousands of uh, interviews and bits video and content I've done in my time I think that was probably the most uncomfortable so um, <laughs> thank, you very much for, thank you very much for bringing it back up um, but yeah I think uh, no I, I think for me um, obviously being a Yorkshireman it's a very pragmatic sense of um, we wouldn't be where we are today without each other you know and that that is day in day out being able to train with each other push each other on race each other up other each other up and down the swim lane up and down the hills uh, around the track and also you know go through the ups and downs of a sporting career with each other now we're not gonna be that mean to you again in this podcast so we'll, we'll get straight in mm-hmm. um so obviously you're really dedicated to studies growing up um were you, was that always kind of instilled in you like an early age um the importance of school getting a degree or was it the love of learning and gaining that degree and also we've got a lot of younger listeners and viewers um, and it'd be really great to hear kind of how you kind of juggled your schoolwork, your academics, as well as obviously being an athlete. So you, you gave two reasons there, you know, kind of one being an academic and, and the second being a kind of love of the process and just trying to do things well. And I think my parents kind of impressed both on us. You know, we grew up in an environment that for sure school and academics were important and doing well in exams was important and getting an education. Both my parents are doctors and so kind of academic in, in that way. But actually, the, the kind of underwriting kind of attitude, I guess, and I remember my parents saying it to me on a few occasions is kind of it doesn't matter what you do, just make sure you do it as well as you can and having that kind of attitude. And I wasn't always good at school. You know, I remember... Um, actually moving from one school to another because I don't think I was being very good. I was being a bit naughty. <laughs> into second school, basically, uh, as a uh, as an 11-year-old, I think. And I got to the end of, I might be wrong here, but like one of the first terms. And at the time, I don't think they did this anymore, but they ranked all the kids and, you know, started at 22 and that was like Joe Bloggs and 21 was Alistair Brownlee. And I was like, I can't. <laughs> So I think another aspect to that was probably competitiveness as well. <laughs> I missed the question how to juggle it. I, I, 
Yeah, I think you've got a lot of hours in the day. Firstly, you know, you can achieve a lot if you want. I think secondly, actually having other stuff outside your sport, I believe is a is a massive positive. Not only is it is a positive because sporting careers are fickle, we all know that, and that means you've got something after. But uh, I think it's a positive at the time because um, it gives you something else to think about. It means you're not completely involved. You're not you're a bit immune to the the lows and the, the highs of, of your sporting life. You you've got somewhere else to go and think about but also I think there's a a sense of kind of calm and just confidence coming from knowing that you've got other things you can fall back on and do if the sport isn't working out I don't think it's necessarily healthy for sport to be all to be the be all and end all but people are are definitely individual in that sense and I think for you as well that knowledge is power with your event it's, I think it's really important to be knowledgeable and utilising that, that, that wisdom, especially over your competitors. Is that, is that something that you, you work on at all? Yeah, I guess um, I've spent a long career trying to optimise all of the factors in, you know, that I can. And, and for me, optimising those at the end of the day means um, understanding them and understanding them yeah, it means getting to grips and, and studying them and, and reading the kind of science and the literature, speaking to people, getting opinions collating those and making a decision um, and an informed decision at the the end of it and yeah that doesn't mean I've done it all on my own I definitely haven't had some fantastic supports and some you know world-class leading like individuals Uh, but also I've reached out to people and and learned stuff and you know experimented as well and learned new things and yeah, I think for me, that has been important. Other people do it in other ways and completely rely on other people. But for me, that kind of uh, feeling of responsibility that at the end of the day, when I'm on the start line, I've taken the decisions to get me there and I've put the effort in and the work in to inform those decisions, that that's been important. Yeah, me and Alan have both spoke about the kind of work that we put into into the background of our, our performances. And I feel that you as well put so much work behind the performance that makes you so great. So we want to let's talk about obviously you you're moving from Cambridge back to Yorkshire where obviously your heart is. Those training changes, how is the environment around Leeds? How does that for you make that training environment what you really need? Is there any specific things like hills, kind of trails that you utilise in, in Leeds? Is that a great environment for you? I think you guys will both have some fascinating answers to this question, but kind of sporting training environment encompasses loads of things, doesn't it? Yeah, for me, the natural environment is one part of it, the good, inspiring views. I mean, that's definitely part of it. Facilities, you know, I've got to to have access to a good pool, a track, gym, you know, you guys, you've got to have facilities. But actually, that's only still a small part of training environment. I think the people is enormous, having great people to train with who... You know, you can compete with, uh, fall out with if you need to and make up with, uh, have that healthy kind of competitive, en- encouraging in- environment <laughs> <laughs> at, at times, yeah. And uh, so I think that's that's an even that's an even bigger part of it. And yeah, so, uh, and for me, that, and then obviously people encompasses great coaches and all advisors, you know, athletic coaches, the, for me, the other things around it, so gym coaching, massage, physio, medical support, or nutrition, access to that as well. And I think all of that encompasses a great environment for, at the time. Yeah, I mean, the decision was that Leeds um, was the best place to kind of give me all of that. Definitely. And, you know, me and Rich have spoken about, you know, training is everything for us as athletes, like our bread and butter. 
you said it before about, you know, you're on the start line, you think about everything that you've done previously, all your training, everything leading up to that moment. Um, so, so what does like your training week look like? My, my weeks are fairly standard. I, I train every day. Monday and Fridays tend to be easy days or easier days. Um, <laughs> I swim five times a week, Monday to Friday. Some days, like a Tuesday, is like a, quite, a, quite an intense day, for example. So swim in the morning, very hard kind of top end swim very hard top end track session run uh, in the afternoon evening and an easy bike ride so there's kind of not that many hours of training as it were whereas a wednesday tends to be quite a long aerobic day swim in the morning for an hour and a half which is five or six k of swimming run the outside like 70 minutes which ends up probably being k of running and ride for three and a half hours plus on the bike which is normally the best part of 100k cycling um so that that's like a a six hour training day but it's all very you know aerobic and steady so uh it's actually quite easy so yeah so it's quite an easy week then really um, <laughs> um, i'm tired no. just thinking about it um and in terms of like obviously a lot of your sessions are physically taxing and you you push yourself to the limits so do you do anything to train your mind like mental training to to help you kind of achieve and, and push yourself to the absolute maximum especially you know when you're in competitions I don't do um, anything particularly, you know, focused and objective. And uh, I mean, I completely understand the reason for doing this. And actually, I've just uh, written a book, so I'm going to plug that. It's called Relentless. <laughs> it's going to be out in June. Um, and I, t- I talk, ask this question to it. lots of other people, lots of other athletes, um, from, uh, you know, Ronnie O'Sullivan, the, the snooker player, to Ian Botham, the cricketer, and, and, and all kinds of different people. And um you know, I, I get it. For some people, the attitude is I spend all these hours every week, every month training the body. I should train the mind as well. And some people don't believe it. I, I think stance is actually I've spent a lifetime racing and uh, training. And through a lot of that, I've picked up and developed my own ways of dealing with the mind stuff, as it were. So, you know, dealing with the anxiety of leading up to races and, and dealing with the issues and lows of injury and other things and controlling my emotions uh, around that. And a lot of that stuff is stuff, I wouldn't say it's come naturally to me because I've had to work on it, but probably work on it in my own way. And um, working on it probably started as a you know an eight-year-old when I was running around the muddy field doing cross-country running and working out how to prepare for that. With your with your events, you've got lots of different aspects of, of them, whether it's the swim, the, the run or the bike. How important is it for you to fuel your body for the different parts of the events? And also, we I'm a useless cook. I think Ellen's better than me. Uh, who's a cook in your house? And do, do you live with Johnny? Uh, no, I don't live with Johnny. Um, uh, <laughs> we did live together. That's until, good then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did live together until yeah a while ago now, eight years ago. Also, and uh, yeah, we moved out of home and lived together for quite a few years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think to be honest, we got on better with that when we don't live together. So uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so that's the thing. Yeah, nutrition is a, a massively important part of what I do. That is what you know, one of the oldest things in sport that you've got to uh, train, and then you you adapt by um, the recovery you get after after the training and part of that is nutrition part is rest and sleep part is of the recovery obviously and the answer is i'm an absolutely terrible cook <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely awful um ask any of my uh friends and 
uh, you know, people I go training with and they'll tell you I'm an awful cook. Put you forward to MasterChef then, right? Yeah, no, thank you. Not unless you want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to move on to, to London 2012. Rich always likes to put this in the podcast because he likes to show his gold medal off. And his um, As usual. <laughs> um, and, you know, we've been lucky enough to, to obviously experience uh, London 2012 um, competing at home games. So, you know, what was the experience like for you, especially, you know, handling the pressure of, you know, competing at, at such a, an incredible kind of Olympics at home? Yeah, well, it feels a long time ago now. Um, but yeah, it makes me feel old when you say, wow, like nine years ago. But yeah, I uh, the pressure was enormous. I think especially coming from a, a relatively niche sport like triathlon, you know, you, you kind of went three or four years before London. Most people hardly knew what triathlon was, to be honest. And then, um, you know, all of us builds and builds and to the Olympic year as a, a really kind of heavy favourite. And yeah, the, probably from the start of the year, I'm nipping down the shops to buy a pint of milk and, you know, the, the granny buying the newspaper next to me is asking me about triathlon Olympics and an incredible change in the kind of status, the kind of interest in, in the sport. Yeah, in that sense, there was a lot of pressure. Um, and uh, we, we had a moment that I, I can tell a lot as an anecdote that we were sat on um, the bed uh, in 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 a hotel room just off the side of Hyde Park um, in the morning before the race and we're watching BBC News and the main story on repeat is just uh, interviewing various people Hyde Park of um, where they've come from that day and why they've come to watch us from all over the country and Johnny just turns to me and goes, we better not F this up. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we kind of, um, we, we definitely felt the pressure uh, but I, I kind of had this amazing moment really you know kind of went to the course we did all you do all our check-ins and stuff and then you head out onto the course for a bit of a warm-up and um i'm i'm cycling around just the on the course that we're about to race on in like an hour's time just to warm up you know check legs are okay check the bike's working and uh, cycling next to johnny as are most of our competitors and um as we go to the bit where the crowd is there's just this amazing like wave of noise following us and it kind of hit me then, as cliched as it sounds, it's like, wow, you know, all, the, all these people are here to support me and to see me do well. Well, the majority of them are anyway. And, uh, <laughs> and it's, like a, it's, it's like a kind of nice wave that's pushing me around the course. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously I've got fantastic memories of the day in the race and um, probably looking at it through rose-tinted glasses, but it was a, a really positive experience for me. We, uh, we actually looked at some of the YouTube videos and the crowds were amazing like obviously for not just the olympics but also the paralympics and you had so much uh support there on the road um in in 2012 you had an achilles injury and obviously that that hampered some of that preparation going into the games was that a big concern going into london and how bad was that achilles injury was it was it really tough to get over it was uh it was horrendous at the time yeah i'm a kind of heavy heavy favorite i get told of uh torn my Achilles tendon and I'm going to have to spend a, a month in a air boot, you know, for it to get better. Uh, it was an absolute disaster. But to be honest, yeah, I mean, the first two weeks of being in that boot were hell. Um, and after that, I could start doing a bit of training. And um, yeah, almost as soon as I could train after that, yeah, everything, every single training session I did couldn't have gone better. You know, I, 
improved steadily, got fitter, you know, day on day. And yeah, when when I uh, I mean, I actually got back a lot quicker than I, than I thought I would. I did a race, a World Series race, I think five or six weeks before the Olympics themselves, and that was kind of my comeback race. And absolutely flew around the course. And at that point, yeah, I knew yeah, if, as long as I could be in that shape, I'd, I was going to win the Olympics. Good feeling, right? Good feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then you obviously so went to obviously the home games in 2012, and then obviously competing away in Rio in 2016. How different was that? What what experience was that like? And obviously, how special was it for you and your brother one and two? Um, you know, at 2016, the the Olympic experience for Rio was a super cool location, but it definitely didn't have the you know the crowd and that you know that kind of feeling around it. For me, the lead up to that race had actually been harder in lots of ways because I'd had an ankle surgery the year before and uh, I'd been on one massive comeback from that with all kinds of problems along the way. So the actual um, lead up was worse and more stressful um, in lots of ways. So uh, actually to get there in one piece and in great shape uh, was a massive, I felt an enormous achievement for me. And the race uh, actually just became the icing on the cake and... um, yeah, I think uh, it, it's really special, you know, to stand on two Olympic podiums with, with your brother it is really special. And um, obviously, for that to be one and two in Rio uh, was incredible. Mate, you're definitely a, a badass as well as a, as a performer. I remember uh, seeing you you're training out in Club La Santa in Lanzarote before 2012. And uh, lucky enough to obviously see you before that 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 success. And uh, we do talk a lot about high performance on the podcast, and we love talking about like the factors that helped athletes achieve those those successes um, in in lots of different sports. So, what would you say are the main factors that contributed to your success? Things like obviously improved S and C recovery, etc. What what would you say the factors that are really pushed you on to that next level yeah well high performance as it were is is not one thing it's a massively multifaceted kind of concept isn't it and i think it boils down to really um being able to stand on a start line knowing that you've done all you can and there's no reason why you should perform really well because there's two things there you know one is doing all you can uh, which encompasses like everything that you've just said and, and more i guess and and the other one then is dealing with the internal pressure of that and and still performing because I think quite a lot of people struggle with that second bit. I mean, loads of things. I think firstly, having a history of doing endurance sport from being young and a lot of that was kind of luck, to be honest, you know, having parents who did it, uh, having a great teacher at school. He took me running most days from being 11 years old, you know, one if not the most kind of significant kind of coach advisors. He hated the word coach in my career, but, you know, what, what I did for actually... A lot of um, a lot of young uh, people uh, is incredible, uh, and then yeah, other people, and then so yeah, look at endurance training, being from the right place, having great other people, friends to train with, and, and groups, local groups to train with, and push me on in um, in the cycling and running. Coming across some great coaches, coming across Malcolm Brown from being and, and Jack Maitland from being young, and those guys just kind of steward and shepherd me kind of you know not always coaching but just sometimes coaching sometimes advising and and I think that was that was most of it actually I think a lot of the time high performance is about removing the barriers um for letting young people do what they need to do and Malcolm had a great way of telling me you know not always telling me what to do but telling me what I was doing you know 
not saying every day, Alistair, you should do this or you should do that, but saying, Alistair, why don't you think about doing a little bit more SNC? And, you know, so kind of, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of my idea and slowly introducing it. And yeah, that, um, I honestly think in endurance sport, or at, well, any sport, you know, 95% of it is just doing the simple things right day in, day out. Uh, consistently doing it day in day out just doing it right I can't say a lot about football really or even sprinting to be I don't know a lot about that but in, 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 in endurance sport uh, yeah it's about doing the simple things right over and over again and um, that that's what gets you good and honestly I think that's 90 odd percent and the other stuff actually SNC and yeah is, is the icing on the cake that SNC keeps you injury free and keeps you healthy and allows you to adapt to training, etc., etc., mm-hmm. and good medical support. And that is important. But yeah, I think it shouldn't be um, overestimated. Uh, and and the simplicity of getting on with the training shouldn't be underestimated. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah, me me and Rich, I think we've spoken about the repetition, um, building up almost your toolbox of what you have, and yeah, the basics is and those one percent as me and Rich always talk about as well. We're living in a global pandemic, as you know. Um, there's been, we've been in lockdown for a while. For me, living in a living in the global pandemic lockdown, it was all about building a new routine for me. What's like your routine, and and how important is that for you as as a triathlete? I completely agree with you on the routine in the pandemic. Uh, yeah, I worked that out after about 10 days. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was actually away on a training camp and um, yeah, flew home from the States to get home. And um, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden for the first time, you know, probably similar to so many athletes, after having 20 years of having a race in two or three weeks, there's nothing like nothing for six months nothing on and for the first like week or so I was like yeah this is brilliant you know just kind of staying up late sleeping in for the first time ever <laughs> just doing what I felt like actually still going out and doing a bit of training on my mountain bike or whatever that's what I enjoy doing but yeah and then I think 10 days in I was like right no um I need that routine I need I, I need that that structure in my life um mm. I, I don't feel like I'm the kind of person that needs structure and routine but um, actually, I've had structure and routine kind of given to me in one way or another for for 20 years or even longer, actually. So, I was, yeah, and all of a sudden, it just been taken away, um, effectively. And so, I um, yeah, I, I kind of put it in place. So, I'm lucky enough to have something called an endless pool, which is like a swimming pool treadmill. So, you stay still while the water comes towards you in my garage. So, when obviously all the pools are closed, I'm used to getting up and going swimming in the morning. I was like, right. I'm going to be at um, 8 a.m. every morning and I'm going to write a session on a little whiteboard I've got and that's my um, kind of contract with myself to do that session. And then pretty much after that, I'm going to go running and after that, I'm going to go cycling. And that that was my routine. I did a gym (laughs) session with my um, strength coach twice a week uh, via Zoom and that was great and that was pretty much it. And also we've heard you're a big quizzer. Is that right? Um, What's like your go-to kind of topic and like have you found other things during lockdown that you've learned you're interested in mine's lego i keep going on about it all the time rich gets a bit annoyed it's like an escapism for football for me but yeah have you learned anything like during that lockdown period uh, yeah I, I, I quite like a pub quiz i guess something social to do it felt like everyone was doing quizzes in lockdown didn't yeah. it so <laughs> i kind of joined in um all my friends were um what have i learned i, I mean I, I kind of read a lot anyway, so I guess I got to read it 
maybe a bit more than I enjoyed had time uh, actually just to do other things um, and just kind of get some other things in order as it were and kind of go down a few other avenues and actually in terms of some things that I'd like to do later after sport give me a bit of time to think about that and um, kind of reach out expand the network I suppose so yeah I enjoyed that and but to be honest by um, September I, I was racing again and yeah by that point back more than in. happy yeah. to be back, back competing <laughs> Yeah. I know it's tough, isn't it? It's tough, and I think the lockdown kind of is—it's a proper reset process. And um, with with a lot of the guests that we've had, we've talked about kind of looking at positive and negative comments that they've had in the past, and understanding why they've got those comments. Have you have ever had any positive or negative comments that you've received that you've? had to reach out to other people for support in handling that or if you handled them in a way that you you felt's been appropriate yeah i think like everyone both of those you know i i guess i'm really lucky to have a, a great group of um kind of close friends around me um and, and actually you know friends that i tr- train with most days and and see who you know, a, a fantastic for, for that kind of support when I need it. Because sport can be, yeah, a, a tough and kind of lonely place at times, especially if, you, if you're if kind of relatively successful. People at the same time seem to want to look up to you and, and also seem to want to look up to you and, and see fail. And yeah, yeah that's tough. So yeah, I, I think it's fantastic to have a, actually, you know, if, if people are going to, if you're going to have friends, it, it's people who... Um, yeah, you can be pl- close to you, understand that, and just treat you as normal, per- a normal person. You know, take the mick out of you, have have that kind of uh, open kind of fun banter, and yeah, I think as well. You know, I've got a kind of a close, still relatively close to live physically close to my family and uh, and subjectively close to my family. So that's good as well. Not only Johnny, my brother, got uh, another. We've got another younger brother called Ed, and. Both our parents live close as well, so that's always good. Have you have you ever had anything like negative that's that's like really touched your nerve with you? Like I've had it before around kind of obviously my disability, and Ellen has around obviously women's football. But I'm, has that has that affected like triathlon or even yourselves with how you look or how you perform? Yeah, I think probably lots of little things. I wouldn't say anything as significant as the comments that you guys cope with, but yeah, I mean. But yeah, loads of things about like triathlon not being a proper sport, and you're a um, you're a kind of uh, you, you do free sports because you can't do one properly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, stuff around personality and and all those kind of things. But yeah, I think um, I I'm pretty um, I don't tend to read uh, replies on social media, or pretty much never do as a rule. I don't tend to read anything that's written about me in the media um or you know in in any press really or anything or you know forums or anything like that so i i insulate um i'm ignorant <laughs> you can call me ignorant if you want it's probably very true but yeah i, I guess i insulate myself against everything every, everything like that and um yeah just on the whole try to live in a in a 
in a space of positive people who yeah who I get on with and and we work together well and enjoy each other's company I think I think that's what we found when we've spoken to a lot of athletes um we last week we actually spoke to Darren Ben and he was saying that you know surrounding yourself with the right people like you say like that positive mm. atmosphere environment um surrounding yourself with people that you love and the people that are supporting you I think that's really important I'm really fascinated by a triathlon i'd love to do one when i actually retire um mm. as well as the ironman i've, I've read do. like chrissy <laughs> <laughs> you've got to help me then you can help me um, you've got an engine ellen you've got an engine you. okay, thank you. um i've read uh like chrissy wellington's book um and mm. yeah just like the the way that you know you can push your your body to the limit over significant kind of distances um and and for like for you you you've obviously done ironman now as well um like what is that an experimental thing is that something you want to then move into um yeah it's, I'm, yeah i'm just really interested really you know to give a bit of background triathlon a bit like you know you do olympic triathlon like you might run 5 or 10k and then ironman's a bit like doing a marathon and you move up as you tend to as you get a bit older I first did a triathlon when I was eight, eight years old and at the time my uncle was doing Ironman so I always knew about Ironman I always knew there's this kind of mystical race called Kona and long distance racing so it was always part of the agenda I mean and then obviously and then from being a when I was 12 and the Sydney Olympics was on triathlon was first in the Olympic Games and from then it was like yeah no it's about going to the Olympics in 2005, I heard that the Olympics were coming to London and um, I didn't believe it was relevant, but from that moment, it was kind of all about the Olympics for me. And yeah, the point after Rio, I was like, uh, actually, yeah, you know, now's time to move and try and do Ironman. I kind of want to do it before I'm too old and, and knackered. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's why in, in the last few years, I did some half Ironman, then I moved to full Ironman and um, actually through the training for full Ironman, you know, kind of train in a slightly different way, although it's not that different, but kind of really nice to just spike a spark of enjoying, really enjoying the sport, enjoying the training process, of, of enjoying discovering other things. Long distance Ironman takes like eight hours, so it's really loads about nutrition and training body in other ways, so really enjoying the process of, of working that out. I thought, you know what, I'm feeling quite good here. Why don't I have a go again at the short distance stuff? Um, so that's why now I've been back and uh, trying to qualify for the Olympics in Tokyo and have another go at that. But I'm fully focused on that at the moment, doing everything I can. Um, but a- after the Olympic Games this year, it's going to be all about the long distance triathlon for me. I think, yeah, th- this year will be my last year ever of racing, short distance racing. Oh, wow. Is that an exclusive? <laughs> uh, sorry, I don't uh, think it's. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I probably will go um, go back into marathons when I finish um, uh, finish on the track. Mm. It's definitely uh, a, a, a different mindset, right? Uh, sprint to uh, marathon distances. Um, but you can obviously do both. And what my last question to you was about the aspirational Tokyo question. I know that you've got the mindset that you don't want to just get that tracksuit on. You want to go and show people that you can still be on that podium at the top and uh, deliver that performance. Is that your aspirations for this year? And how's it all going? Yeah, of course, you want to go races and go to races to, to try and win the race. And yeah, I mean, I guess I wouldn't be doing it if um, somewhere in my mind I didn't believe that's possible in some way. So 
that's what I'm, I'm training for and I'm doing everything I possibly can to, to get there. But at the moment, yeah, I'm focusing on one thing at a time. So I still have to qualify for Olympic Games. Actually, just heard yesterday that World Triathlon are opening up the qualification window because they're confident that enough races are going to take place, which is fantastic because yeah. at one point it looks like there might not even be qualification races on. So there's a few races basically in May and June, which are going to be on, which is really cool. Uh, they are in, I mean, the first couple are going to be in Japan. And then actually there's going to be one in the Leeds World Series race in, in June. Um, so basically it's about performing in then, and that's uh, fantastic. And I'm doing all I can to be as fit as I can to perform in those races, show the selectors that I am in a position to compete, to win a, a win a medal at the Olympics. And um, yeah, that, that's the kind of goal. And best of luck for that, because that, that would be amazing. One of our last questions we always ask kind of every guest is like a legacy question, basically. So how would you like to be remembered? <laughs> how long have I forgot <laughs> no I'm kidding um, <laughs> I, would, yeah. I would like to uh, be remembered as a um, ferocious competitor that helped put triathlon on the map and left a, a lasting impression that kind of enabled inspired and, and motivated more people to be active that's a great great yeah. answer and we have we have 10 quick fire questions that you that we always ask and these are literally like first thing that comes into your head and some of the some of the answers that we've had off off, off the guests have been uh, very left field. The first one's nice and easy, but it might be quite. Well, it might it'd be very easy for you because mm. I'd be very surprised if you pick one of the answers. Mm. So the first question is track or ball? Track. <laughs> Come on, Alistair, please help me out here. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I'm I'm absolutely useless. Any anything that involves a ball, I'm useless at. <laughs> all right i'll let you off um what's your greatest accomplishment in life so far winning two olympic gold medals do you believe in ghosts no <laughs> easy <laughs> um what's the biggest risk you've ever taken dropping out of university <laughs> oh dear <laughs> can you sing no but if you went to a karaoke what would be your karaoke song wonderwall Wonderful. Oh, See, that's a good one. one. That's a good one. Okay, when are you at your happiest? Uh, after a hard day's training, uh, um, <laughs> probably when I'm sat in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the silliest thing that you've ever got upset about? Daily, on a daily basis, like not having milk to make a cup of tea, probably. <laughs> Yorkshire tea, right? Um, where do Absolutely. you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> Not uh, competing as a professional athlete anymore, but uh, staying fit and doing all kinds of sporting events um, that I'd like to do, like mad mountain marathons and, and that kind of thing. But also, hopefully, still working to increase the number of people doing triathlon. Awesome. And how would your friends describe you? I don't know, but hopefully uh, they describe me as uh, hardworking, loyal and uh, affectionate and interesting <laughs> okay last one what's your greatest fear uh, oh bad injury thank you alistair for your time today very insightful i'm sure there'll be young boys and girls out there that will be able to get some some pointers especially around their, their training their recovery and some tips moving forwards into hopefully some competitions thank you it's great thank you
Um, so it's really great to, to hear from Alistair. Obviously, I'm delighted that he's going to help me um, perform the triathlon. Um, so that was my main takeaway. No, I'm joking. Um, no, I was, I was really you know excited to speak to him because he's achieved so much in his career. Um, what he puts and pushes his body through every day. Um, so it was really he's making kind of... me tired as well. He's making me t- all that training, all that. When does he ever like sit down and chill out? <laughs> like I like to sit out, chill out, watch some TV. It sounds like he never does that. But what 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 I'm thinking is that you don't actually realise what you're letting yourself in for if you do a, a triathlon <laughs> with Alistair Brownlee because I know he's going to push you. Can you actually swim as well? I don't know if you could you swim. I can actually swim. Yeah. No armbands. Just a few. Like, not that. No. <laughs> no, it was great, wasn't it? It was a great, yeah. great insight and uh, a really good guy. Um, I'm lucky enough to meet him while he was training, and I can uh, say that he is one of the hardest working athletes that is actually going to go to Tokyo and hopefully he's successful. Yeah, definitely. And we really appreciate everyone for for listening and watching and make sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify or where you find your podcasts as well as Twitter and also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is all Track and Ball Podcast. So thank you so much for listening and hopefully we'll see you soon for another episode. Cross comes in, white with the header. And here comes Whitehead. It's gold for Great Britain.